All right, well, if you will find a copy of God's Word as we look at John 15. John 15, we're looking at verses 12 through 17 this morning. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1147. And just a reminder, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love to give one to you. There, You'll find them on the way out this morning. So as you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant Word. John 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would help us to love one another. We struggle with this. Uh, And so, Father, I pray that you would use the preaching of your word to change our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. You know, teaching or preaching on love is actually a pretty difficult thing. It's such a broad topic. Where do you even begin? You know, the word steadfast love from the Hebrew chesed love, it appears 248 times in the Old Testament. The word love in the English Standard Version appears 684 times. So I thought what I'd do is I'd just read all 684 verses this morning, and then we'd have the benediction. Um, And you couldn't say I had a bad sermon because it's God's Word. Um, Just kidding. Uh, There are different kinds of love. Think about that. The different kinds of love in Scripture. Uh, In Greek, you actually have four different words for love, and three of those appear in the New Testament. We can speak of God's love, like His love for His Son, which is uh, verse 8 and 9 of this text. Uh, We can talk about God's love for the world, John 3.16. For sinners, like you and me, for His people, His creation, His creatures. Uh, Or we can talk about God's love specifically for us and what that means for us and how that changes each other, or we can talk about the love we're to have one for another. It's hard, actually, to preach about love. It's, a, it's so big of a topic. And so how do we understand God's love, as big a topic as this is, and how do we understand our love that we're meant to have one for another? Well, you know, all of Scripture points to one person, and His name is Jesus. And in Jesus, we have the very definition of love. We have the example of love, and as we look to Christ, He empowers us to love one another. So the sermon title this morning is Love One Another. That is Christ's command to us. And so we're going to unpack uh, unpack what that means and the connection to God's love for us. And so our passage begins in verse 12a. This is my commandment. Did you notice that's not an option? Did you notice that that's not a, here's my suggestion? This is my commandment, my principle, my precept. It's a strong word in the Greek. That you love one another. 
Why is this a needed commandment? Why is this a needed commandment? Well, for lots of reasons. First, contextually, let's think about where we are. This is called the upper room discourse. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have had the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is the Thursday night before the Friday on which he's, when, in which he dies. Uh, and it's not been a good night for the disciples. It has not been a night full of love for anybody except themselves. H- have you ever ha- planned a big party or a big gathering of your family or perhaps even a vacation And when you get there to that Christmas morning or whatever it is, and instead of finding something special in the Hallmark Channel version of how everything's okay in life, you find people full of bad attitudes, fighting, and criticism. You know, an aunt so-and-so leaves because somebody else brought the same dessert she did, and uh, you know, there's still that turkey platter that you know was supposed to be in your family, and uh, you know, uh, this is how that night went. That's how this night went. They had refused to wash each other's feet. They had refused to wash Jesus' feet. Judas had left to betray Jesus with a kiss. Peter had another set, not just one, but two of his impetuous statements. And then we read in Luke 22, this was at the table. This was at the table. A dispute rose amongst them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Really? I think they missed the point, didn't they? Um, It was a bad night for the disciples. It was not a night of love. And so actually, if you look at the, the Upper Room Discourse, a lot of it is about love. But it's not just the disciples who need the commandment, is it? I do. And you do too. We have a rose bush in our backyard. Um, you've heard recently about my experience with my Meyer lemon tree, uh, so you'll know where this is going. Um, it's one of those, uh, those rose bushes that climb on the trellis. I don't know what the kind that is. I built a trellis right next to it. Uh, and you know, it, you know what happens? It, it, it's not growing on the trellis. Uh, and so you know, I've, I've kind of woven it up in there, and I may have tied a couple on there, trying to train it to go up the trellis. But it's, it looks like what my hair used to look like when I had hair. Uh, when I woke up in the morning, and it's like this, right? I don't have that problem anymore. And, uh, and so you have these, these few little branches tied to the trellis, and the rest of it's pointing straight away from the trellis, and it's wild and crazy. It's going away from what is needed and what is healthy and what's good for it. And that's what our heart does. It's wild. And instead of of being trained and, and going after that which is needed, our hearts love ourselves. My default setting, time in and time out, is self love, self centeredness, self aggrandizement, self seeking, and really only seeking the good of others when it's convenient. For me. Is that what your heart does too sometimes? And so we need the law of God. The law of God is good and perfect and it's sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. Praise God He's given it to us. Love one another because you don't want to. And so the Jesus, so the Jesus, so Jesus gives the disciples and to us this commandment. Now, we're told elsewhere, Mark 12, amongst other places, that we are to love our neighbor. It's also in Deuteronomy. 
But notice that's not the phrase that's used here. It's not neighbor. It's something much more specific. It's one another. It's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. To love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. The youth and I were talking about this morning as we sat around feasting upon chicken biscuits at McDonald's that, uh, that we will enjoy this friendship for all of eternity. The high school friends that I had who know, knew Jesus, I don't really keep up with them anymore because I don't really keep up with anybody in high school. But one day in heaven, we will renew that friendship. What is the mark of brothers and sisters in Christ? I was at a restaurant yesterday and in walked some guys with boots, jeans, and leather vests. Do you know what they were? Motorcycle guys, right? How did I know that? It was pretty obvious. Uh, Neil Miller, known by red and black. Neil, by blue and gold. Uh, if, you, if you watch a football game, you know which team people are pulling for. Why? Because there are certain characteristics. Do you know what the characteristic is supposed to be? of brothers and sisters in Christ, John 13, 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have one love one another. That, that's meant to be the characteristics of, the characteristic of brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet I need this commandment all the time. Love one another. Because my heart goes in different directions. But it's not just love. We're given the kind of love, the nature of love, the characteristic of love. In verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He's already said this in, this, in the upper room. This is the second time he said this. Verse 35 of, excuse me, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So three times. Here, twice, and then in our passage today, he says, love one another. The newness about this, love's always good. We're always told to love people. The newness here is the standard of the nature, and it's based upon what Christ has done for us and how he has loved us. We are to love each other with the love with which God has loved us. Wow, talk about a, a high, high standard. Now, Christ's love for us is unique in many ways. It cannot be repeated. I am not the God-man Jesus, neither are you. And so we are not called to redemptively lay down our life for each other. So there is a different, there's a different ness, there's a different aspect of Christ's love for us that cannot be repeated. What, what is he getting at? Rather, is that there would be a sacrificial element of our love. We see the manner of God's love for us in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. That is a staggering statement. And we should not just gloss over that. The love that Christ has for us is the love that the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have for each other. Wow. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, First John 3 tells us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. But just as comforting is this, this, this statement that this is how much Jesus loves us, this is a really hard statement now that we would love each other as Christ has loved us. I love the honesty of R.C. Sproul in this passage. He says, I like it when Jesus says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. But I don't like this statement in verse 12. I can try to love you, but to love you as much as Jesus has loved me is beyond my natural ability. 
He loved us when we were unlovely, and we are called to model that kind of love. No wonder Jesus talked so much about sending the Holy Spirit to help us. Verse 13, we see a bit of a transition. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Why is this the greatest kind of love? Well, it's because the sacrifice one's life is for the benefit of the other is the ultimate price that is paid. You will not be around to hear the praise for it. And indeed, it could be a great sacrifice, not just for you, but for your whole family. Right? As a breadwinner is gone. Very few people indeed would do this. This is why it's held up at such a high level. I struggle to put the needs of others before my own when I'm in the checkout line. You know, or when the traffic in Bruton is so bad that you're going to have to sit at a light, yeah, still one time, and, uh, and someone wants to come in, and it's going to delay me exactly 25 seconds, and I just pretend like I don't even see them. Have you done that before? It's like, mm, I, don't, I don't see that person over there. Right? God's standard of love is quite high. Romans 5, 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. Let's back up just a minute. If someone laid down his life for his friends, you see where we're going this, right? You see where we're getting to Jesus here very shortly. Because he says in verse 14, you are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, let's be clear on the context here. We've been talking in John 15 about true believers produce uh, fruit. Uh, you know, a branch is going to produce fruit. It's going to produce grapes. And so he's talking about, hey, look, a true believer who is producing grapes, one who is following my commandments, this is my friend. This is not a, hey, you need to do this so I'll love you. That's not what he's saying. But did you catch that he called us his friends? We are Jesus' friends. Now think about that. How do you choose your friends? I don't choose my friends like Jesus does. I don't choose the mean, nasty, spit-in-your-face kind of people to be my friends. Do you? You know, in fact, that didn't really get us off the hook because Jesus says you've got to love your enemies and your friends. Still got to love them. But you don't have to be your friends. But this is exactly whom Jesus has chosen to be His friends, you and me. That's who we were, the mean, nasty, spit-in-your-face kind of people. And Jesus chose us to be His friends, and then He died for us. This is what... We said in our, um, our call to worship this morning. Let me read that to you again. This is at least part of it. Romans 5, 7, or 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are four words that uh, appear in verses 6, and you go through 10, two more verses, four words that describe who we were before uh, Christ died for us. Uh, The weak, the ungodly, sinners, and enemies. Would you choose any of those people to be your friends? No. And this is whom Jesus has chosen to befriend. Do you see how if Christ has loved us this way, then we are to love others in a similar kind of way, with patience and mercy and grace and love. 
The only way this works is verse 16. We read there, You did not choose me, but I chose you. If there is not a clearer statement on predestination, I don't know what it is. Real clear on that one. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Not a lot of wiggle room on that one. And whom did he choose? Folks who didn't want to have anything to do with him, like me and you. Folks who have nothing to offer him except our sin. Why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse 15, he continues, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, Paul's going to use the language of being a servant of Christ. But this is a different word picture here. Uh, That a servant, a bondservant, a slave, this word can be translated any one of those ways, is not privy to the reasons why his master tells him to go and do something. He just says, go and do. There's no involvement in the big decisions. That no longer describes the relationship between Jesus and His disciples or Jesus and us. Rather, these were His companions. Think about all that they had learned from Jesus at this point. They had heard Him preach sermon after sermon. They had seen Him do miracle after miracle. They had seen demons cast out and the dead raised. They had shared meals together. They had slept in the open together. Peter, Paul, and James, excuse not Paul, Peter, James, and John had actually seen Elijah and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. They had heard the very voice of God and they had seen Jesus trans, um, transfigured, right? Thank you. Transfigured right before their very eyes. This was not something that a servant would experience. Jesus had kept telling them all of why Jesus had sent, them, had sent him, why he came and what he's going to do, and why he's going back to heaven and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And soon he will charge them to be part of the greatest rescue plan of all time, the rescuing of God's people from their sin and their bondage to death. These were no longer servants. These were his friends. And when Jesus saves his friends, he invites us into that mission to be co-laborers with him. We are now part of the family of God. This doesn't mean we're on equal footing with the Savior, but it does mean that we are given this great privilege of bringing more rebels into salvation and bringing the good news of Jesus that there might be more friends of God. This is what he means in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now we have to remember that our friendship is for the purpose of bearing fruit. It's one of the key themes of 1 through 17 of John 15, that we bear fruit. He has befriended the friendless that we might become the children of God, that as we abide in Him and depend on Him and rest in Him and draw close to Him, we might bear fruit and therefore bring glory to the Father. That's the logic of this passage. Our text ends in verse 17 with a repetition of how we began. These things I command you, 
so that you will love one another. Would you just stop and think through, are, are, there, are there places that I need, are there people I need to love better? Are there people I need to love better? I know I, know I do. I know you do too. Might be a spouse, a coworker, a friend. Um, it's, it's not an option. But you know, God provides that which we need to obey Him. And so He gives us the Holy Spirit. This new heart that He has put in us, the new spirit He's put in us, Ezekiel 36, He says, And I will cause you to walk in My statutes and to obey all My rules. That if we come to Lord Jesus and say, I'm having a really hard time on this one, Jesus. Would you please change my heart? Would you please help me? He will. And He will help us to forgive just as we have been forgiven. He will help us to be patient with others just as Christ has shown patience with us and to give grace as we have received grace. And then we'll fail, we'll ask for forgiveness, and we do it again. That's the Christian life. As Christ has loved us, so we are to love others. Did you know that Jesus had the reputation of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now the Pharisees gave him this title in Luke chapter 7. And they meant it as an insult. But for Jesus, it was a badge of honor. Because these were the folks, like you and me, whom he had came, who he had come to save. Are you a friend of Jesus? If you're a believer in Christ, then you're a friend of Jesus. You're a friend of God. Even Abraham is called such. But if you're not, there's friendship available with Jesus. There'd be friendship available with the God who created all things. And one day, He will come to judge the living and the dead. And if we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ, then our friend is the judge. And our friend is actually the one who paid for the things that we have done wrong. We've all done wrong. And just like we talked about with the kids, uh, all of our past, all of our wrong, all of our baggage, I know you have baggage, everybody does. That can be wiped out by the blood of Jesus. Wiped clean, blotted out by His grace. Are you a friend of Jesus? Are you a friend of Jesus? Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that there is friendship for sinners with Jesus. We thank you that he has befriended us, that we might be called children of the living God. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.